Hey guys, it's your host, Avery Carl. Welcome to the Short Term Show special episode series on Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I'm super excited to do this 10 episode deep dive into this market with you. And I wanted to make a few notes for you first. So if you wanna set up a search for properties or see current purchase prices or current income numbers in this market, you can do that at our website, theshorttermshop.com. If you just wanna connect with us and hang out and talk about short-term rentals more, you can do that in our Facebook group. It's the same title as my book. It's called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. And you can also find the information on all of our other market short-term show special episode series there as well. So we look really forward to hanging out with you over the next 10 episodes and we'll catch you guys on the next one. Let's go. Hey guys, welcome to episode one of the Short Term Show special episode series on Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So I really love this market because it's got all of the qualifications that I look for in a market to invest in short-term rentals. And we're going to talk about all those in a minute. And it's very, very affordable. I would venture to say it's some of the most affordable beachfront prices that you can find in an area that actually gets tourism. You could probably find cheaper and maybe in a place that that nobody goes, but that would defeat the purpose of having a short-term rental. So I've got one of our amazing agents in the Myrtle Beach market here to help me talk about that. Bradley, will you introduce yourself to the world for episode one? Absolutely. Uh, I'm Bradley Klein. Uh, I've worked with the short-term shop pretty much since they started, which I think was last August, right, Avery? Uh, I can't remember exactly when. It's been, right I around, think, yeah, about a year and a half. Right around late last summer. But I, I started with uh, the short term shop right after our first agent, Samantha, started um, and lived in Myrtle Beach for the last seven to eight years now. Prior to that, I came from uh, sunny old England, born <laughs> and raised there, and moved to uh, America and spend my life here now. All right. Well, welcome. Um, <laughs> So let's talk about why why would somebody want to invest in Myrtle Beach? What what do people come to do there? Well, I think first of all, I mean, it would be safe to say is the weather. I mean, of course, in the summer it's gets up into the 90 degrees, but it doesn't get scorching hot to where it's unbearable. And then in the off season, we still kind of have seasons, but it doesn't get so cold that again it's unbearable. I mean, I think average temperatures in the off season kind of January, February, March-ish, around average 60 degrees. So first of all, we had the weather. Um, Secondly is probably location. I mean, we're obviously not central, but we're still close enough to a lot of states to where it's super easily accessible, to where you don't have to go that additional 10 hours down to the kind of Miami area or the, the west coast of Florida yet you still get to appreciate those temperatures. And of course, if you do come from the upper states, you can still get back to, if that happens to be where home is, you can still get home pretty quick within a day with a car. Accessibility, the airport is literally downtown. Um, I mean, you actually fly directly over the beach when you land into Myrtle Beach, which is kind of cool. So, um, And then, of course, it's huge for golfing here. Golfing, I think we have over 100 golf courses along Along Myrtle Beach, we have 60 miles of beach that kind of stretch from uh, Paulie's Island all the way to Little River, which is in, on the north end of Myrtle Beach. And then, of course, it's predominantly a tourist town. So we have a lot of uh, family activities, 
uh, areas like all the boardwalks, amusements, tons of restaurants, bars, and then just little kind of quirky Southern charm areas scattered around in places, of course, with your live oaks and moss hanging from the trees and that kind of movie scene uh, type environment, if you will. Yeah, I do love I do love Spanish moss. <laughs> it does have something to it. Reminds yeah. me of the uh, the chick flicks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So yeah, let's let's talk about the tourism. So is there much industry in Myrtle Beach outside of tourism or is everything pretty tourism based? It's predominantly tourism based. I mean, in in recent years, it has in certain pockets become more of a retirement area. Again, I think that's just because of location. Um, But outside of that, it is predominantly tourism. We don't really have any other industry here. We have a little bit of medical, but but for the most part, it's tourism. And that's kind of what I expected you to say. So, and I would imagine there's not a whole lot of hotel presence either. It's mostly condo buildings. Correct. Yeah. I mean, of that 60 miles, probably 45 to 50 miles of it is just uh, condo buildings. See that those are two sentences right in a row that to me, that gets me excited about investing in a market. I like for vacation rentals. So I don't do Metro short-term rentals. It's too volatile for me. They, people, they change the rules all the time because there's so many people that live there. There's hotel presence. I like a vacation market that's dependent on tourism and where there's not a lot of hotels. So because there's not a lot of hotels and it's dependent on tourism, the entire city, county area runs off of the tourists coming to stay in the short-term rentals. So in a way, because there's not a lot of places to stay other than the short-term rentals, uh, the the area, the municipality is kind of dependent on the short-term rentals themselves. So that's really what I like to see when I'm looking to invest in a a short-term rental market, because that tells me that it's unlikely the regulations are ever going to become anti-short-term rental. Of course, nobody can predict the future, but it's really, really unlikely that that would ever happen. Uh, How long has Myrtle Beach been a tourist destination? Did it start as like some other type of industry, like maybe a fishing industry, and then tourists came in? Or has it really always just been a vacation town? So to my record, it's as far as it's been around. I mean, prior to it being Myrtle Beach, it was just swamp area. Um, But as far as I'm aware, it was predominantly always a vacation town, which kind of goes to what you say for the the likelihood of it changing um, or limiting regulations for, for rentals would just be it would be like shooting itself in the back. Yeah, yeah. And I, I hear so many people when they hear when now when when big vacation towns are talked about in the short-term rental space, people are like, oh, saturated, blah, blah. But when you look at these towns, it's not like it was all primary homes being sold up until 10 years ago. And then everything's converted to a short-term rental and we have this flood of supply onto the market and now it's saturated. 98% of all the real estate ever bought and sold in this market since before Airbnb, since probably before the internet, has been vacation rentals and second homes, right? Yes. Yeah. So it's not I like mean, this. Big- there are, once okay. you get away from the beach, of course, there are a lot more uh, HOA neighborhoods. Um, but as you once you along that stretch of of beach, it is predominantly just second homes and vacation rentals for sure. And you would want to, you wouldn't want to invest away from the beach either, no, because it wouldn't make sense. It, yeah, yeah. You want to invest on the beach. So this has all the makings of a great 
place to invest in, in my opinion. So let's talk about the attractions of the market. So obviously the beach, you want, like we just said, you want to buy on the beach. What else is there to do around here? Uh, as I mentioned before, I mean, it's, it's a huge golf town, uh, golf city. I mean, there's over a hundred golf courses. Um, so we get a lot of golfers in the area as well as kind of your, uh, families. There are, we, we don't just cater to kind of adults. We, we have a lot of amusements in the downtown area. We have the sky wheel, we have Broadway at the beach, which is kind of like a, a boardwalk with a bunch of kind of, uh, Ripley's aquarium, Wonderworks, that kind of thing. We have the wax museum. We have, um, we have in the North Myrtle Beach area, we have Barefoot Landing, which again, it, it's on the intercoastal waterway, but it's a bunch of restaurants, breweries, uh, arcades. On the south end, we have Morrow's Inlet, which is, it's on the, the inlet. A um, bunch of really good seafood restaurants, uh, the famous Go Island, which is essentially an island in the in the middle of the marsh where a bunch of goats just live out there randomly, which really? is- it's it is it's it's a it's a an attraction in itself. So you just go out there and do what? Like, does someone own this, or the goats just uh, live out so there like wild goats? As far as who owns it, I have no idea. But it's just been something that uh, they were used, I think, to maintain the vegetation on the island, and then it just became like a quirky attraction. Okay, so is it like you have to pay to go out there? No, you can't go out there. You just see it from like the the boardwalk area where the restaurants oh. are. They're just kind of like hanging out uh, on the inlet, just doing the thing. <laughs> How big is it? That seems kind of like a sad life for a goat. Yeah, I mean, it's, I not, guess- it's not a huge area. I mean, it's maybe maybe an acre or something. It's it's oh. not a huge space, but I think because of recent, uh, just because of the weather in that area lately, they they had a little bit of. Uh, I think a lot more of that land kind of went underwater. So they're slowly going away with the goats. But uh, beyond that, we have fishing, we have sunset cruises. Um, I mean, it's just a whole bunch of an endless list of things to do for all age types. I mean, Goat Island. I I never. That's <laughs> a, I, I would totally go see that. I of all the things, that. Goat Island is what is what's sticking out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So, what else about Merle's Inlet? I I stopped you on the Goat Island because it was fascinating. Anything else there? Yeah, I mean, as I say, we have you have fishing, you have sunset cruises, uh, jet skis, pontoons that you can rent. Uh, you can rent boats on the the waterway if you want something a little bit more uh, backcountry. You want to go see the alligators and that kind of thing. You can you can go that route. So I mean, you're not just limited to the beach because Myrtle Beach is pretty much such a long stretch. Um, you're never too far away from the inland, really. So if you did kind of want to just get away from the beach for a couple of days and see some other things, um, you have those options too. Okay, cool. Alligators. Is there anywhere you can eat alligator? In yes, uh... you can. In, in, <laughs> there's a few restaurants in Paulis Island. Uh, which is on the south end of uh, of Ori County, which is which is the county that Myrtle Beach is based in, which is I think it's right around twelve hundred and fifty square miles. So it's it's a pretty big county. Um, but Paulis Island sits on the the south end, and you can eat alligator down there. Yeah, not something I want to do, but I have noticed in beach markets, especially in the south. Well, not in South Florida, but in the Panhandle over here, and like all the quote Southern Town beaches, uh-huh. there's there's alligator on the menu places. <laughs> it's not that bad, honestly. I had to try it. Just to have tried it. It's not that bad. 
Yeah, I've tried it one time before just to say that I did. It's not right. something I'm gonna like yeah, order because it's delicious. <laughs> Uh, but it exists. At, you can get it here at uh, Fuddpuckers, I think. It's weird. Anyway, <laughs> weird, weird stuff. Okay, so we talked about tourism. Lots of stuff for kids to do, it sounds like. It seems like a lot of the markets, and I know this is a weird thing to say, a lot of the markets that I end up really finding to be good markets to invest in have all the exact same attractions outside, <laughs> outside of whatever their natural resource is. So like the Smokies has... The mountains down here in Destin, we've obviously got the beach too, but we all have like the Ripley's thing mm-hmm. or the track or um, yes, a yes, wax museum, me. all that stuff. Yeah, I think because uh, as I'm starting to find out now, your life quickly becomes uh, the kind of revolves around keeping the kids happy. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you, you've got some fun, fun years coming up. Ours are just now old enough to be able to go like do cool things and. It's awesome when they're having a yeah, good time. So you were just at the Kiss uh, Festival, which is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We took our kids to Kiss last night. So audience Bradley has a brand new baby, his first one. So we're very excited for him. And he's got some fun time. You got some not fun times first, but then. <laughs> sure. Getting better. <laughs> yeah. Getting some sleep now. Yeah. So lots of kid activities, sounds like. Yes. So it's um, a very family friendly area. It is. And it's obviously, I mean. Being a beach town, we are seasonable, uh, but our season is getting longer. And of course, the the golfers tend to be tend to be groups of ten to fifteen guys that come. So they generally tend to come once the season finishes. So October, November are still pretty good months because it's still nice weather here. Uh, it's not so hot, so that's when all the uh, groups of guys come out and uh, start hitting the hitting the golf courses. Okay, good to know. So you can kind of extend your season a little bit with the golfers, whereas other areas that don't have that much golf, maybe not so much. Correct. Okay. Do you guys see much snowbird action? Or we get a little bit of action. Um, I wouldn't say it's as big as Florida, for example, but it's definitely, um, we do definitely get some snowbird action, which is nice because, of course, in the off season, it allows you to to kind of use your unit to, if if you're not able to get those weekly rentals still, you've still got the option of snowbirds to keep your, keep your unit occupied during the off season. Yeah. And that's something that I do want to talk about a little bit is the seasonality of coastal markets. So guys, if you're planning to buy in a beach market, you are going to be seasonal. You're going to have March through like mid end of October. You're going to make all your money during that time. And that's okay. It's a, I see people say, oh, you know, the beach market only has a 60% occupancy rate. I want 85. So here's an example that I like to give based on two of, of my properties that when it comes to seasonality. So I've got a four bedroom property in the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. It's got an 85% occupancy rate. I also have a four bedroom in Destin, Florida, a few blocks off the beach, and it has a 62% occupancy rate. I bought both those properties in the same year for roughly the same price. So the expenses are very similar. Um, So if you're only looking at that occupancy rate and seasonality, you're like, oh, I'm buying in the Smokies all day. But my beach house actually makes about $45,000 more a year than my Smokies property does. It just does it all between March Mm -hmm. and the end of October. So 
really the only thing you have to remember is when it is peak June, July season, don't be spending all your money like it's going to go on all year. You just have to make sure that you budget appropriately for the carrying costs through the low season. So you really want to look more at what your annual income is going to be more so than the seasonality, because I would venture to say the seasonality doesn't really matter that much. What matters to me is that gross income. And then what's cool about beach markets is you can go use the property yourself some in the off season without cutting into your income. So if I want to go visit my Smokies property, I've got to block it off. It's going to cost me a few thousand dollars in bookings for me to go be able to visit. But in a seasonal area, you can go visit without cutting into your bookings. So that's super cool. But onto the snowbird thing, I see a lot of people who will buy in a beach market and then come November, they're in all the Facebook groups going, how do I get off-season bookings? How do I book during the off-season? And the answer to that, unfortunately, is that you don't. (laughs) You just have to know that you are not going to be booked in the off-season, budget accordingly during the high season. You will make enough money for this to be a great investment. Just know your year is between March and the end of October. You're going to start getting bookings January 1st for, um, for spring break. So just keep that in mind. And it's a really, really great investment. Just understand what seasonality looks like from an investment standpoint. Also, when it comes to snowbirds, typically snowbirds are older couples. So they're going to want one, possibly two bedrooms, but really more like one. So if you're buying a big four bedroom house, you're probably going to crush it all summer, but you're most likely not going to find a snowbird to rent that in the off season. So none of these are bad things. It's just a make sure you understand this. So you're not one of those people who in November is like, why am I not getting booked? Well, because people don't go to the beach in November is why. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. What else do we have? So fishing, is there a specific season for fishing? I don't know anything about fishing is it summertime is it wintertime like when you fish uh, this i think the season depends on the uh the fish migration routes which i don't know a whole lot about it so if there's any professional fishing people watching this don't quote me but um i do know that it does tend to be uh seasonal depend on what you fish for per se can you fish this time of year i'm not 100 percent sure but i do know that pretty much from spring until fall people are still fishing um just what they're fishing for does tend to change but a lot of the time they they let you keep your catch if it is something that falls within that of course the dnr's allowance of of uh keeping the catch and then if you can have some fresh mahi or grouper or whatever it is that you you haul up which is kind of cool yeah that is awesome are there places where you can take it to like just have them cook it for you uh there are actually some restaurants more on the south end like murals in the area where they actually have their own fishing uh charters go out and then their restaurant serves their local catch as far i think some of the guys on the boats will prep it for you i don't know if they'll cook it also um but obviously if you have a, a single family home as a as a rental then you can go ahead and just cook it right on the grill that's awesome i i love eating fish. I don't like any of the other process. (laughs) um, I want someone else to catch it for me. I want someone else to clean it for me, but I will cook it. Um, Do you know what's the, what do you catch there? Like here it's mostly grouper and red snapper. Yeah. You have red snapper grouper. We have mahi. uh, We have wahoo. Okay. They're kind of, they're kind of your main ones. Okay, cool. 
So one thing that I really want to touch on here that I mentioned at the beginning is that this market is very affordable for buying short-term rentals. So I don't want to get too far in the weeds on what things cost, because if somebody, I want this this to be beneficial for somebody who listens to it tomorrow or two years from now. And, you know, prices change, they go up and down. But I mean, on average right now at the end of 2023, I mean, you can get a two bedroom condo for under 250, right? Easily. You can. They, yeah. they definitely exist for sure. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's a a really great entry point because I, there's a lot of markets. I, I would consider Myrtle Beach to be a blue chip market in terms of you know, the infrastructure and being able to find your cleaners and your vendors that you need. And, and the tourism is there and that vacation rental uh, longevity is there. So uh, I would consider it a blue chip marker market. Uh, and I would venture to say, uh, I, I need to quit saying venture to say, I've said that more than once on this call. Uh, I would say that Branson and Myrtle Beach are like the best deals in buying short-term rentals right now, especially if you're on a budget. A lot of people think, oh, you know, I don't have 500,000. I don't have 800,000 to get into the Smokies or Blue Ridge, but you can absolutely get into Myrtle for that really well, can't you? Yes. Yeah. So, okay. I've only really ever looked at condos there. What's a typical like entry level single family look like? I mean, you could get a a three bedroom single family for four, four fifty, of course, being in a short term rental zone. Um, and then, of course, they do increase from there. But I mean, I know of a great area in in downtown Myrtle Beach where Samantha and I have almost pretty much got a monopoly on that market, just because there's a particular a particular group of single family homes, three and four bedrooms that you can get for you right around that four hundred mark, and they do really really good numbers. Yeah, that's a that's a great deal in terms of. Uh, I've just never looked at single families there. So is it, would it, would I be correct in saying, and I'm totally speculating here that typically there's, unless you're buying a three bedroom and up, it's going to be a condo. So if you're, if you're looking for a one bedroom or two bedroom, it's going to be a condo. There's not really any one bedroom, two bedroom houses. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of even three bedrooms, pretty limited. Um, but the single family, it does, the inventory does become a little uh, easier to come by at four bedroom up. And then your condos do generally tend to be from one to three. And then once you get to kind of four and above, then they become more scarce. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of similar to here. Most of the time, if you're looking to do a one, two, three bedroom, it's going to be a condo and mm-hmm. the single families don't really start until four bedrooms and up. You can occasionally occasionally find a three bedroom single family, but most of the time, if you want to buy anything lower occupancy, then mm. it's going to typically be a condo. Right. Yeah. It's exactly the same here. So the last thing I want to touch on, because I think this scares a lot of people about condos and there are a lot of condos in this market are condo associations and condo fees. So can you kind of tell us a little bit about those in this market? Yes. I mean, of course, Meadow Beach is predominantly. So with one thing to just touch on is um, the zoning in areas. So of course, you have North Myrtle Beach, which is the city of North Myrtle Beach, then you have downtown Myrtle Beach. And then beyond that, you have kind of the south side of Myrtle Beach, which is like Surfside, Myrtle's and Lake Garden City. And then beyond that, you have Paulis Island and Litchfield. So zoning differs in each of them. But the most friendly of which does generally tend to be North Myrtle Beach. However, along the Grand Strand, essentially all of your oceanfront condos are short-term rental friendly. Um, 
once you get further back, that's when the zoning does become a little trickier, especially when it comes to single family homes. So, uh, but with condos in particular, of course, they do all have differing HOA fees depending on amenities they provide, um, how many units there are, who manages the HOA. And one thing I do generally like to, to coach my clients on is ultimately, yes, you may have a, a one-bedroom condo with a $600 HOA fee, but when you take into account that it covers all of your amenities, it provides internet, uh, cable, includes your, the insurance, it includes your contents insurance access to all the amenities essentially you the only thing you have to take care of outside of that is any kind of liability insurance and then just making sure you're paying your property tax um mortgage and and that kind of thing but as as far as ease goes i think uh these hoas make more sense once you kind of break down the numbers <clears throat> yes and that was exactly what i was getting at is that a lot of people initially see an HOA fee and they think, oh my gosh, I can't afford that because they don't, they think, okay, I've got all these expenses. I've got my mortgage, my utilities, all this. Oh, and then there's a $500 condo mm-hmm. fee that kills my cash flow. But what you have to do is take a step further and look at it. So I, the building that I'm in is my office downstairs and we have a three bedroom condo upstairs that has a $500 a month HOA fee, but it covers all my utilities except for electric. It takes care of the exterior insurance, which can be expensive in a coastal market. So all I have to do is insure the inside of it. And I mean, and it covers the exterior maintenance, anything to do with the pool. And I do have a private pool on my other property. So I know kind of what that costs to maintain personally. So you just have to look at a lot of times that 500 is not just an extra 500. It covers a lot of the bills that you would have to be paying anyway. And I think people also get really nervous about assessments, which for those of you who don't know what a condo assessment is, every few years, they'll say, oh, hey, you know what? The condos need a new roof. And they'll assess all of the owners a certain amount to pay for that. And people get really scared of that too. They're like, oh, assessments. But when you have a single family, you're doing all of that stuff on your own just over time. So you're paying all that money, but it's you know uh, maybe some this month, some next month, we got to fix this, we got to fix that. With a condo assessment, it's the same thing, but it's just happening all at once. So it feels bigger, but it's the same amount of money that you would have paid to maintain it over time to fix these things. So that's really not anything to be afraid of either. Uh, And I think the last thing that people get really worked up about when it comes to condos are the HOA is changing the rules to disallow short-term rentals. But like Bradley said, most of the condo buildings, especially the ones on the beach in this market, exist specifically to be vacation rentals. So if you're trying to buy a condo in Chicago, where a lot of people probably live in that building, yes, that would probably be something I would worry about is people deciding they don't want short-term rentals in there. But that's because people live in Chicago. There's not a lot of people who live in Myrtle Beach. People vacation to Myrtle Beach. People are probably living in that Chicago condo and don't really want short-term rentals in there. In Myrtle Beach, every like 98% of the units are going to be short-term rentals. So you don't have to worry about those purpose-built condo buildings ever really changing the rules on you and saying, oh, we're not going to allow short-term rentals. Now, I would imagine there's probably one or two buildings that are supposed to be kind of luxury and don't allow rentals. They only want second homes. But that's something that you'll know up front. Right. 
So is there anything else that you want to touch on when it comes to condos in this market that that people might not think about? Um, I think just kind of uh, touching on what you were saying. Um, So obviously there are hundreds of condo buildings. Not all of them are going to be, not all of them are going to have the greatest return. Of course, it's difficult to sometimes look at a market and then see this unit, like, wow, this is a great unit. But ultimately, it all depends on the location, the amenities it provides, the quality of the the building itself. Because of course, a lot of these buildings are used as as kind of condo tells. But so of course, they check in at a front desk, they get a key card, they check into the room. But in the same breath, a lot of them will allow the if you own it and you decide you don't want to use the the on on site rental, then you can essentially just take that lock off the door and put your own keypad, and then the guests just go straight up to the room. But ultimately, as far as kind of overall maintenance, there are just some buildings that are not as well kept. Um, so just overall, there are some buildings that just do much better than others. Um, and then, as I say, on the on the topic of with the key cards and obviously the access thing, there are some buildings that will not allow. As you say, they won't allow people to self-manage just because they want to keep keep it in-house. So it's important to, of course, make sure you have the right agent who can coach these things. 1,000%. You want to make sure that your agent knows the different nuances of the condo buildings, the ones who are going to say, hey, we you have to use our management company. There was one that I almost bought in that they allow you to self-manage, but I had to do some real digging to find out that they charge you $75 per booking of your mm-hmm. self-manage to the condo building. So you really do need an agent who understands the nuances of the different condo buildings and has that experience. I almost put in an offer on something in a market uh, that the short-term shop does not operate in. And um, the agent told me, I said, okay, well, it it was a condo. And I said, do they have any restrictions on who can manage the property? I know they allow short-terms, but do they have anything? And the agent said, well, it's your property. You can do whatever you want with it. And I was like, "Mm, that doesn't sound like you've done this before. (laughs) You definitely want to make sure that your agent understands all of those nuances. So Bradley, we're about to wrap up. Is there anything else we haven't touched on that you feel like the listeners would benefit from hearing about why Myrtle Beach is a great place to invest? Um, I think the kind of the biggest thing you say, especially with most of our clients looking to to self-manage is is the entry point. It's still one of the few markets where you can still get a great return. I know people are generally looking for a 20% return, and that is still doable. Sometimes in in cases, you can still do higher than that. Um, so, of course, entry point is definitely is definitely one of, one of the big ones. Yeah, totally agree with that. This is a really great place to get into if you don't want to spend a ton of money to start off. All right, guys, if you want to start shopping with us in the Myrtle Beach market, you can email us at agents at the shop.com and we'll connect you with Bradley or our other great agent there, Samantha. If maybe you aren't quite ready to do that, but you want to just start learning more about short-term rentals, there's a few ways you can do that. You can join our Facebook group called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. Same title as my book behind me. It's just us and 60,000 of our closest friends talking about short-term rentals in there all day. Or you can also join us every Thursday. We have a live Q&A call and you can sign up for that at strquestions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.